And I have a few announcements for you this morning. Um, if you have not signed up or you desire to sign up, uh, you need to go to the Go table about the Southern Baptist Convention Disaster Relief training classes. Let me just remind you that this training class is for us to be prepared that when a disaster happens around this area or in Mississippi or in Florida, that we're trained to go with the Southern Baptist Convention to go and to help and to serve. There's three classes that are going on this uh, on February 18th and 19th. There's the chainsaw class, like working on that. I, I told Randy, I don't think that I need to run a chainsaw. That could be bad. Um, but there is cleanup and recovery and then also mass feeding. Uh, the cost for you, we are taken care of. The only thing that we ask is that if you um, are going, that you would go online and do the uh, $10 uh, background check and you can call the office if you need help on how to do that online. Uh, but the cost of the training, Luke 418 is going to take care of that for you. And so love for you to be a part. We've got quite a few people who have signed up, and I'm super excited about that. And then also, we started today a uh, new life group, Home Builders, um, that's meeting uh, starting today. It's for engaged couples and those through five years of marriage. Uh, that's happening at 9 o'clock, just like at all the other times of our life groups here on Sunday morning. And so if you are an engaged up to five years of marriage and you are interested in that, we'd love for you to be a part of that, and Brother Randy would love to share more with you, um, or you could talk to Brother Roy as well, as he would love to share with you. Our senior adult luncheon is coming up uh, this, is it this Thursday, am I right? Is that right? This Thursday uh, at Loaves and Fishes Family Restaurant in Wilmer at 11 o'clock, Thursday, February 17th. I don't think you have to sign up to go, just show up. I think they've got plenty of space for us. But that is at 11 o'clock this Thursday. And then I have one more announcement that we're going to also show a video of that's about one minute long. Many of you know that we have life groups and community groups here at Luke 418. Community groups are something that we have uh, kind of started that goes and meets off-site. Uh, they meet at homes, and it goes for a lot longer than an hour uh, they focus in on the message from Sunday morning and they get to share with one another uh, what they learned and what God is teaching them. And, and what's really interesting and what's really cool is to, to, to hear about how a community group will come in and God has spoken so many different things to each individual about the message from Sunday morning. Because when we're walking through different circumstances of life, we hear different things in the message, right? And so when they come together and begin to speak that, they're getting to hear all that God is doing, and it's building that community together. So we have our life groups on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, many of them uh, all over the campus, love for you to be a part. Or we also have community groups that meet in homes throughout the week. Oftentimes they're on Sunday evenings, but they're anytime throughout the week. If you're interested, and we're going to show this video that's really sh uh, like about a minute video, but if you're interested in community group, all it takes is somebody being willing to open their home and somebody being willing to facilitate. And that facilitating is not, hey, I'm going to go and put together a message. It's that I'm going to keep the conversation focused on the message. So like today, instead of getting focused on who's going to win the Super Bowl, we get focused in on the message, right? See, that's what a facilitator does. 
It doesn't take a whole bunch of studying and preparation. Actually, it just requires you being in worship and listening to what God is speaking to be able to ask questions and guide the conversation of the community group. And so we wanted to show this video and let you see if you are interested in being a part of a life group or a community group, please go to the grow table afterwards. Brother Randy will be there and others, and we would love to sign you up. You may say, hey, I just want, I want to host. I want to be a host home. He'd love to know that. Hey, I'm willing to facilitate. He'd love to know that. Or, hey, David, I really want to be in a life group on Sunday morning. We'd love to get you connected in that. My heart as pastor is that we have 100% membership in either community or life group because we are called to be in community together. Let's look at this video, and then we're going to begin in singing. I love community group because we get to kind of hash out the sermon and flesh out how we can live that out in daily life. My favorite thing about community group is that we've become really close to each other. I just enjoy the fellowship of getting to hang out with brothers and sisters in Christ every Sunday and spend time over a meal where we get to kind of relax and talk about our week and what's going on and then also just get to reflect over what we've heard that Sunday morning in the message. What I love most about community group is being able to share our prayer requests and our burdens with each other. We go deep with the scripture and discuss what we've learned that Sunday and it really helps us to know how to apply it in our own lives. It's just a great way to get involved with the church. Every Sunday is not the same as just coming and actually sharing your life with people. The casual environment of uh, just hanging out, fellowship, eating, um, cutting up, you know, just enjoying time with the body. Well, I think the Christian life is so much more than just gathering on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. I think when we look at the Bible, we see that God has called us to live in community. And I think community groups are a great way of us kind of taking down the walls that keep us from wanting to open up and give us an opportunity to let the hair down and just spend time growing together and when hard times come or frustrating times come your community group is there to walk through that with you amen good morning we're glad you're in worship with us today uh whether you're in the room or online and if you're a guest with us we're especially glad you're here there's a, uh, there's a card in the seat back pocket right in front of you called our welcome card. And if you fill that out, put it in one of the three boxes at the back of the room, you'll get a little bit more information about Luke 418 Fellowship. And I can attest that going to a community group every single week has, has just been a, a huge, uh, just a huge way for us to grow in community uh, right where we're at. And uh, I go to Dolphin Island each week and we bring the kids and uh, and we talk about the message. The messages that we've had over the past few weeks on Daniel have been uh, just great words. A man that lives in a community that is unlike anything that he believes. Amen. Last week we talked about a statue, and at the base of that statue was a rock, and that rock was Jesus Christ. He's our cornerstone, our solid rock. And I didn't know this until he read it, but that rock spread throughout the whole world. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to spread the gospel. And we can do it together in community. Let's just stand together and sing this as a statement of faith this morning. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Will you sing it with me? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Sing it again. Here we go. On Christ. 
that. Would you sing with us today? What is our hope in life and death? It is Jesus Christ alone. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ on which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess. Christ, our hope in life and death. Amen. He's the way, he's the truth. A truth can calm the troubled soul. God is good, amen. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy tide. The waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our What will we sing? Christ, He lives. Amen. Christ, He lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast and end. Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess. Christ our hope and life and death.
Amen. Amen. Sing this with us. I stand amazed in his presence. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the I love uh, the hymns, so many people, that's their song. And, uh, and those are things that we can carry with us. Uh, songs like Come Thou Found of Every Blessing and Amazing Grace, which we're about to sing. I had a church member come up to me last week and he said, I have a song for you. I don't know if you, if you know this song, but could you sing it? And whenever I, I hear that, I'm like, oh, oh goodness, here we go. And he said, Amazing Grace. And I said, I think I've heard that one, okay. And he said, that was my mother's favorite song. And that's what we're carrying with us is, is theology through song. And that, that's what I hope that we can, we can do that. We're here to praise the Father and teach the people so that we can go out into those harvest fields, right? Singing all day long about how our Jesus saved us. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch. Like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my How precious is that grace the hour I first My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Lean on his word this morning. The Lord has wronged. 
sing it out. My chains are gone. I've been set free. I'm not my Savior and ransom. Father, we just thank you so much for the gospel, for that story that can be retold again and again and forevermore, that you made a way, that you took our sin and our shame, and for that we praise you, a doxology of praise we give every single week, an offering to you. We pray that we would never lose the wonder of this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this together. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body bowed and drenched in tears they laid him down in joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone messiah still and all
in robes of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and i will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on jesus Thank you, orchestra. I love working with these guys. We're part of a family, a community that will have no end. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to praise you with everything that we have, everything that you are, Lord. And when you take us to places that we do not know and into positions of of influence, Lord, we pray that we would say that I'd rather have Jesus than wealth and fame and what people think about me. And that we would rely on you, lean on you, even in the darkest valleys, the biggest storms and in the times where we just say why Lord we give you all our praise today, in Jesus name we pray, amen
Amen. Man, I want to join the choir. (laughs) I don't know if I have the time, but I think that's what we all say, right? We don't have the time. Yes, we have the time. I'm telling you, there was about, there's about 15 extra seats up there, and there's still some spots in the orchestra, and we'll build more space if we have to. So, whoo, man, I just, I didn't even want to come up, I mean, I just wanted to just fall on my face and just cry out to God, what an incredible morning of just singing praises. Oh, I love that song that we sang uh, just two back where it said that, you know, that, that Jesus came forth from the grave and, oh, praise the name. I mean, I just, ah, oh. okay, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, I could talk all day long just about what those songs mean in our heart. And Father, there's oftentimes I just want to press repeat on those songs. Father, I also recognize a very famous song that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Father, as we walk through this passage today, may our hearts be in tune to you. Holy Spirit, illuminate the pages that we may understand what is being spoken. And Father, may we live out what you are speaking to us today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for all that you are doing here at Luke 4.18. For we are desperately dependent upon you for all things. So, Father, we praise your holy name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As I was praying, the Lord reminded me also to to share with the congregation to be praying for Pam Fisher as uh, they are headed for surgery up at UAB in the days to come. And so be praying for the whole Fisher family, Herb and Pam and the whole family. And uh, we'll pray as I'm going to put this note so I don't forget. But we're going to pray. Well, let's pray for it right now. As I, uh, Father, you've reminded me of Pam and, and what she is walking through, Lord, in the surgery that is coming in days to come at UAB. And Lord, we just pray for the shalom, the peace of God to be upon the whole family. We pray that you would guide and direct Uh, the doctors, Lord, and most of all, may your name go forth and give them opportunities to proclaim your truth uh, throughout this whole journey. For their hope is in you and you alone. For it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Daniel chapter 2. We kind of finished Daniel 2 last week, but there's still four more verses that I want us to look at in uh, as we continue into chapter 3. Last week we saw the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation. And we recognize that oftentimes we get focused in on what country this is and what country that is. But what we need to focus in on is what is God speaking to us? What is He saying? And to sum it all up, he's saying, God wins. He wins. He's in control, and he wins. Now, when the dream was interpreted, and Daniel finished giving that to Nebuchadnezzar, this is what is said in verse 46 to the end of chapter 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, and he did homage to Daniel, and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. 
and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal the mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect prefect of over the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and the width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to the assembly of the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judge, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O people, nation, men, and every language. That at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipes, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image the king has set up. Now we know what took place. They heard all those instruments proclaimed. And then let's go skip to verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipes, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace. A blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. You know, it's interesting when you read the end of chapter 2 right with the beginning of chapter 3. Because at the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar says, Surely your God, Daniel, is the God of gods, the King of kings. And then instantly, or soon after, we see him in his pride and in his arrogance, setting up a statue and saying, All will worship. All will worship. And if they don't worship me, then they will be thrown into a blazing furnace. So we're going to look at all of this today, and the next week we're going to get into the famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. But today we're going to look at the confession of the king, the promotion of Daniel and his friends, and the opposition of the saints. The first thing I want us to look at is in chapter 2, at the end, is this confession of the king. 
He says in verse 47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. He's the revealer of mystery. Now let me just remind you what Daniel had said previous. When Daniel came to him to give that dream, he said, I could not do this in my own power. He said, I don't have the ability to reveal to you the dream that you had and its interpretation. But my God is the God of gods, the King of kings, the revealer of mystery. And he has given me understanding so that I may share with you what you have seen so that you will know what will take place in the days to come. Uh, See, Daniel, because he continually proclaimed to Nebuchadnezzar where the strength that he had, where the mystery was revealed or how it was revealed through Christ and Christ alone, through God, through Yahweh, when it comes to the finish of this, the king confesses and says, your God truly is the God of gods. Now, this is a major moment in Babylon. Remember, multiple little g-gods in Babylon, right? Remember that they would have thought that Marduk would have brought and given Israel into the hands of Babylon, right? Remember, in chapter 1, God gave Israel into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't some foreign little g-god. God did it for a purpose. But the Babylonians would have thought that their little g-gods had placed Israel, Judah, in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. They would have thought Marduk was truly this chief god that that would give them favor to defeat Judah. But all of a sudden, there's a new competitor in town. All of a sudden, the king says that your god, Daniel, is the god of gods. Marduk is now on notice. He now recognizes that there's a competition in Babylon. Now let me just ask a question to you. How many of you talk about Marduk throughout your day? How many of y'all have heard of these foreign little g-gods that were known in Babylon today? See, When Daniel came in and he proclaimed where the truth was coming from, who was giving him the revelation, who was giving him the strength when he just ate uh, vegetables, and he continued to show that Yahweh truly is the one true God, all of a sudden we begin to see all these little g-gods start to fade away as we view who Yahweh is. And now today... Is God still on the throne? We're here today worshiping Christ, singing about the the, the grace and the mercy of God. But you don't hear anybody talking about all these foreign gods anymore, do you? See, I believe that we see played out in the Old Testament, Matthew 5.16. What does Matthew 5.16 say? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Check out what's happened. The, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, is confessing that, G, or that God is the God of gods all because he has seen the works of Daniel. And Daniel continues to proclaim that he could not do this in his own strength or in his own power. 
But there's a problem with this confession is that we don't see repentance. We don't see repentance from Nebuchadnezzar. See, he confesses that Daniel's God is the God of gods. But we don't see a transformation in his life. Instead, we flip over to chapter 3 and what do we see? But his pride and his arrogance telling all the people that you must bow down and worship. Church, there's a very important application here. True confession will lead to repentance. True confession and belief in God will always lead to repentance. Here in chapter 1 or chapter 2, the king says that Daniel's God is the God of gods, but then we just see the the continuation of his pride and his arrogance. Now in chapter 4, you can go to chapter 4 today and you can read it. We'll get there in a few weeks. But in chapter 4, we see a confession from the king where he is humbled and where he stops walking in pride and he begins to worship Yahweh. See, there's a major difference between this confession and that confession in Daniel 4, 36 and 37. And the application here is that just because you say that God is God or that Jesus is Lord, does not mean that you have truly been transformed and are saved. You can confess and not truly believe. See, in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most difficult passages of Scripture is this application that many people will come and say, Lord, Lord, on that day, and He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You confess that Jesus is Lord, but never truly believed and led to repentance and submission to his lordship. And right before that in Matthew 7, he tells us how to know. How to know. Oftentimes we read Matthew 7 and we're like, well, am I that person that's going to go before the Lord and he's going to say, depart from me? Well, Matthew 7, right before that, tells us in verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? Fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. For a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces what? Bad fruit. You want to know if the confession is real and true? There's going to be a transformation in their life. Church, if you believe that as long as you say that you are a Christian, then you're saved, you've been deceived. If you truly believe that as long as you say you're a Christian, and you go tell the world that you're a Christian, as long as you say that, that means that you're saved. The problem is is that it's not just that you say you're a Christian. People all the time tell you that they're Christians but have no transformation in their life. It's that you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. And here's the beauty of Romans 10, 9 and 10, and that is this, is that if you truly believe, there's going to be action behind that. If I tell you that I believe that this chair will hold me up, y'all have seen this illustration a hundred times, but I'm not willing to sit in it, then do I really believe that it's going to hold me up? 
But when I put action to that faith and I sit down in the chair, then yes, I believe because I am showing that by my actions. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, there is only one response to that, and that is to fall on our face submitting to the Lordship of Christ. If you truly believe that Jesus is Lord, how can you say, oh, I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he paid for my sin on the cross. I believe that I'm in need of a Savior, but I'm not going to follow him. How can you say that if you truly believe? Because if you truly believe that you're in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, we have one response. We fall on our face in humility before our God. It's not just, I'm a Christian. No, it's inside of me. It's transforming me. It has changed every bit of who I am. I once was dead and now I'm alive. Church, If you believe that just because you're a member of a church means that you're saved, then you're deceived. Our books here at Luke 418, our role is not the Lamb's Book of Life. And let me tell you, if you go up before the throne of God and you tell Him, Hey, listen, I was a member of Luke 418 Fellowship. He's going to say, depart from me. But if you go up there and you say, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that I can stand. Church, we must recognize that confession, true confession and belief will lead to that repentance. It's not just being a member of a church. It's not just saying that you're a Christian. It's that your heart has been transformed. If you say, hey, because of my good works, I'm saved, you've been deceived. We can't work ourselves into heaven. If we could, why would Jesus Christ die on the cross for you? If you could work your way into heaven, why would God send his only begotten son to die on the cross if you could work your way into heaven? Church, if you believe that in your religion, and as long as you're a religious person that you will be saved, you're deceived. There's only one way to salvation. Jesus says it in John 14. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. Church, we must recognize that it is confession, belief that transforms the life. When we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, when we truly believe that, we're going to fall on our face in submission to the Lordship of Christ. Does that mean we're going to struggle? Not going to struggle? No, we're going to have difficult times. There's going to be times where our eyes get taken off and focused on all the circumstances around us. But praise God, because we've been filled by the Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes over us and brings our eyes back to Jesus. But church... We cannot sit here and say that as long as I'm a member or because I simply call myself a Christian or all my good works or all my religion will get me into heaven. No, that would be confession without truly believing. That would be thinking that you could do that in your own power and your own strength. One of the things that breaks my heart the most about religion is that it's deceiving people all day long to where people think as long as they're religious, they're okay. And one of the greatest examples of that is what's going on in our city right now. People ask me all the time, David, are you against Mardi Gras? 
And I tell them all the time, listen, there's nothing wrong with a parade. But what's wrong is when people think that they can go and do whatever they want and then just go and say, God, forgive me. That's cheap grace, church. We don't go out there with the heart behind of, oh, well, Lord, I'm going to go do everything I want to do, and then I'm just going to ask for forgiveness. No, we must recognize that if we truly believe we're going to fall on our face in submission before the Lordship of Christ, and we want our life to reflect Him in all things, there's that true confession. The second thing that we see is the promotion of Daniel here in chapter 2. Verse 48, it says, The king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. It also says that he asked for the appointment of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were placed in a position in the province of Babylon. Now, this is very interesting. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, are now in a place of prominence in a foreign land. When they got to this place of prominence, Daniel was given many different gifts. It says that in verse 48. He was given gifts and he was given power. Now, what happens oftentimes when people get power and material things? Oftentimes, those things become their God. The power can become their God. But Daniel continued to walk in humility. What's so beautiful about this is that Daniel continued to say that I recognize that God is the the giver of all things. God's the one who's given Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. God's the one who's given me strength when I just ate uh, all this uh, vegetables. God's the one who's given me the, the revelation to understand the dream. God's the one who's given me favor. And so Daniel recognizes in this moment that God is the one who's placed him in this position of power. Daniel continually speaks of that. I believe that if this song would have been written back then that we just sang, Daniel would be singing it. I'd rather have Jesus. Now granted, he's looking forward to the cross, but I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world could afford today. Though Daniel's in a place of power, and though he's in a place where he's got a lot of material things, I truly believe that Daniel would confess and say, hey listen, It's all by God's grace and mercy that I am where I am today. He's put me here for a purpose, for a reason. But at the end of the day, I'd rather have Jesus and all this power and all this wealth. At the end of the day, I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. At the end of the day, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. And we see this incredible example of Daniel here. So what's the application for us today? It's not wrong for people to be in a place of power. And it's not wrong for people to have material things. But we have to be careful that those things don't have us. We have to be careful that when we get to a place of position or power or authority, that we don't begin to say, well, look at me and what I've done. 
You've seen it and you've heard it many times where somebody began to get some fame or somebody began to to gain some material wealth and all of a sudden they have denied the faith because they think that they have done this in their own power and their own strength. We must, as a church, must recognize that God is the giver of all things so that we will not become prideful in the position and the things that we have. We must become uh, fully aware that all the gifts that we have, all the material things that we have are all God's and that we are called to use them for His kingdom. We must recognize that the places at our job, at our school, within our friends, the authority that God has placed us in, He has given us that for a purpose, and that purpose is for His kingdom. It's for His kingdom. It's for us to use that opportunity to proclaim the truth of who God is, share the gospel with all those around us. We must recognize That it's not about, look at all that I have gained or all that I have accomplished. It's having the humility that Daniel had, saying that God has placed me here for a purpose. God has given me this opportunity, and I am here to share the gospel. Church, we must walk in the humility that Daniel had as God places us in different positions. But let me just also say that we must also walk in humility as the exiles. Now think about the exiles for a moment. Some of them may have been saying, man, I wish I was in Daniel's shoes. Man, I wish that I could be where Daniel is. Man, he's got a lot of things. He's got power. I mean, he is in a, in a really high place. I wish that that was me. The exiles could have easily said, and we don't see in the scripture whether some of them dealt with this or not, but I can tell you that we deal with it today, don't we? I've heard a brother in Christ tell me that, that if you can't rejoice when another member of the body gains, whether it's notoriety, whether it's something material, if you can't rejoice with that person, then you really need to check your own heart and see if jealousy is creeping in. See, the exiles had to say, hey, listen, praise God that he has put Daniel in that place of position. Praise God that God has has placed him there for a purpose and for a reason. See, we're all in this together for the kingdom of God. How do you respond when God places somebody within the church in a place of position? Do you rejoice with them? Or do you begin to say, God, why not me? Why not me? Look at what 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, and we could read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12, but I won't do that today for time's sake. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says this. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it heard a pastor say, and this has been on my heart since this pastor said it, don't expect God to do amazing things at your home church unless you're willing to pray for your sister churches that God would bless them. Church, we're all in this together. 
altogether. I praise God when he places people in different positions throughout our city, throughout our nation, throughout the world. When he allows and gives somebody the opportunity to go and to proclaim the gospel and hundreds come to know Christ. We praise God for what's happening. We don't sit there and say, oh, I wish that was me. We say, praise God, and I'm going to pray for him. Praise God. Daniel gives us such an incredible example here of being the one in that position to stay humble, recognizing only God's the one who placed him there. And we also see this incredible example that those who are exiles, that are uh, common uh, day people in Babylon who are ultimately in slavery in some sense, here they're saying, hey, it's not that I'm going to say that I want to be where Daniel is. I'm going to say, praise God, he's placed me right here for a purpose. And thank you, God, I rejoice in what you're doing in Daniel's life because it affects the whole body. Affects the whole body. But then we see one more thing that I want to look at today. And that's the opposition to the saints. Chapter 3 immediately goes into Nebuchadnezzar and his pride and his arrogance. He says, hey, I'm going to set up this statue and everybody's going to bow before it. When all these instruments that I've never heard of, I was like Googling what is a trigon. I didn't even know. It's a stringed instrument, a a, a psaltery. I didn't know what it was. It's a stringed instrument. I guess all of them were stringed instruments. I guess the flute's not a stringed instrument. But it said, at the sound of the instruments, you all are to fall down and worship. But there was three that didn't. I like to call them by their real names, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Now let me just be very clear for a second. Those who are in a place of position are a high target. The enemy comes hard against all of us. But when you are promoted to a place of power, a place of authority... You become an extremely high target. Why? Because if Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah would have knelt down and worshipped instead of standing their ground, praise God, it would have had a domino effect against all the exiles in Babylon. Well, did you hear? They got placed in a position of, of power and now they've already been changed. Well, did you hear what happened? You see a, a pastor who, who falls and think of the domino effects that take place within the church and the pain and the hurt. See, that's one of the reasons why we can go back and say the exiles needed to rejoice that Daniel was there but also to be praying for him. Why? Because he was a target now. We see that in chapter 6. Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah are now a top target. And what's interesting to me is what they say to the king. Okay, so you think that they're coming to the king and just saying, hey, they didn't bow. Like, wow, I just noticed today that they didn't bow. But look at what they actually say to the king in verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration... Namely, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you, so they didn't bow, but they also don't serve your little g-gods. Interesting. What that tells me is that they've been watching them. They've been watching them. 
Now think about this for a second, church. The people of Babylon didn't like these Jewish exiles being raised to a position of prominence. And so guess what happened? They were out to get them. They wanted to find one crack in their faith. They wanted to figure out how they could remove them and stop them. And so when this happens and they take a stand, they immediately go to the higher authority, Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, hey, don't forget what you said. Now they need to die. They need to die. Church, do we recognize that we are under heavy attack? We're under heavy attack because we have a true confession. That true confession and belief in Jesus Christ has transformed our life and we are no longer children of the enemy. We're now children of God. And the enemy is fighting against God day and night. Now let me tell you, God wins. He's fighting against his children, trying to disqualify and discredit them and begin to put doubt in their minds about who they really are. But really, he's trying to put doubt in their mind about who God is. The culture comes against any person who takes a stand as a believer in Christ Jesus. And for those who are in a place of position, the enemy comes even harder. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Church, we will be persecuted. There's a fight. Praise God, we win. But that doesn't mean that the battle doesn't rage every day. The enemy wants to do everything he can to stop you from proclaiming the truth that will set others free. The enemy wants to do everything he can to disqualify or to discredit you so that others will not listen or believe that which you are speaking. And right here in Babylon, we see it. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14, I love how Peter says, Do not be surprised by the fiery ordeals among you which come, apart, uh, come upon you for the testing as some strange thing has happened. Listen. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be testing. There's going to be fiery ordeals. There's going to be painful situations and circumstances because the enemy doesn't like what's happening. I always love what Brother Fred told me. I would call him up and say, Brother Fred, I'm under spiritual attack. And he said, well, praise God, that means he's working. I was like, well, will you pray for me? He goes, I already have been, and I will. Basically, what Brother Fred was telling me is that whenever you see the enemy attacking, that means that you're, you're working for the kingdom. You're focused on the kingdom. So why will the godly be attacked? Why will we come under hardship and persecution? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, as I've already told you, is that there's two opposing kingdoms. The enemy who wants to stop God, but guess what? He can't. But he'll do everything he can to keep as many as he can to go with him to his kingdom, which is ultimately going to be hell. 
But there's another reason, and that's because the enemy uh, wants to suppress the truth by coming against believers. Think about it. In our culture today, how often do people say, well, if you disagree, you don't need to speak. You don't need to say anything. That's arrogant. That's narrow-minded. You're a bigot for saying this or for saying that. Let me just tell you, you can call me narrow-minded, but I'm going to proclaim God's word because it's truth. How often does our culture come against so that we will suppress the truth? We'll go back into to, to a hole and just hide there so that we don't proclaim because they, they want to continue to suppress that truth. They put that pressure and that pressure and that pressure. Some people say that they see that on the news between uh, one party versus the other. But let me tell you, it's about righteousness. And the culture doesn't want to hear that. And so the more that they can suppress God's people from proclaiming that truth, the less they have to hear it. But there's another reason why the enemy is after believers. is because when a believer falls into sin, the culture uses it as justification. The culture says, see, their God's not real. Their God couldn't protect them from this or from that. And ultimately what the culture is doing is calling us to be the plumb line. And let me tell you, if I'm your plumb line, I will fail you. So the culture says, well, I'm going to make the people the plumb line, and when they fall, then we can be justified. But let me tell you, when you stand before God, you have no excuse when you say, hey, listen, so-and-so fell, so I didn't know him. I didn't come to know Christ. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the very beginning? Hey, Adam, did you eat? Oh, it was, it was the woman. Hey, Eve, did you eat? It was a snake. Our culture wants to justify their lack of belief and true confession in Jesus Christ by saying, well, people who claim to be Christians, look at how they're living. Look at the failure of this person or that person. But let me tell you, you're looking at the wrong plumb line. Jesus Christ is our standard. And as I said at the beginning, no one, no one, can come to the Father except through Him. True confession and belief leads to submission and repentance of sin. So how do we stand? Well, we took like three or four weeks on this in Ephesians 6. Church, how do we stand? Be strong in the Lord and in His strength and in His might. Be strong in the Lord and in His strength and in His might. Put on the full armor so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the culture. It's against the enemy that's controlling the culture, church. It's not against people. It's the enemy who is controlling those people by deceiving them to come and hurt us and bring difficult situations our way. How do we stand we are engrossed, abide, dwell, delight in Christ, in Him alone. And then we stand firm in His strength. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah stood because they had a true confession and a true belief in God. 
Just like we see in James chapter 2 where it says Abraham uh, went to sacrifice Isaac and it said that he was credited righteousness. Why? Because of his belief. Their belief was not the belief of, of Nebuchadnezzar who said, hey, your God is the God of gods and now I want everybody to come worship me. No, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah had a true confession that Yahweh is Lord. And they believed, and that belief took them to submission under the authority of Yahweh. And they said, you know what? God's in control. He's bigger. We won't bow, and whatever the consequences are, we're willing to take because we know that those consequences went before God first. Now, we'll see what happens, and many of you know the story of what happens. But church, how do we stand? We stand by the confession and the belief and the submission to Jesus Christ as our Lord as we dwell and abide in Christ Jesus every day. Then we can stand in the midst of all the adversity and all the pain and all the suffering and all the persecution that's coming our way because our belief is in God who's on the throne and He wins. I want to close with this verse. The Lord gave me this verse actually this morning as I woke up early as I always do to prepare my heart for today. And the Lord just put on my heart and said, finish with this verse. Close with this verse. I want to close with this right here. We've seen that we must have true confession, belief that leads to submission to the Lordship of Christ. We've seen that in the promotion, God is the one who puts people into authority, that we must walk in humility knowing that God has placed us there. And for those that, that look at others and say, whoa, I wish I was there, we need to say, no, I'm going to pray for them and praise God that the body of Christ has been placed in that pl place or position. We see that we're all going to come under attack, especially those who are in a place of position. But look at what it says in Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to what? Our confession. What's that confession? Jesus is Lord. We believe that God raised him from the dead. And in that belief, it has led to a repentance of our sins and a submission to his lordship. It says, because... Of Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Jesus went through the struggles. He went through the persecution, even on the way to the cross, church. He was nailed to the cross. You talk about persecution. You talk about pain. Jesus went through all of that. And look at what it says in verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, we must abide, dwell, delight, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And what will we receive in our time of need? 
What will we receive when the persecution is strong? What will we receive when, when the enemy is trying to, to come after us? What will we receive when we confidently dwell and abide? We will receive grace. Excuse me, we'll receive mercy and find grace. I think about this and all this took place for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel, it all took place when they were the underdog. They were the one that everybody was looking at, like, hey, you don't belong here, but we captured you. Church, we're in a nation right now that we don't have to live in the same way that Daniel and them lived under that idea of being, hey, you're not supposed to be here, we captured you. But how often do we run at the persecution at the opposition. Church, we must draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace. May our confession and belief in Christ lead to submission to his lordship. May we recognize that all of our places and positions that he's put us in is for his kingdom and for his glory. And may we stand in the midst of the attacks of the enemy in his strength.